Welcome to the Straight Talk on Fleet podcast with Aaron Gilchrist. Each week, Aaron will be breaking down fleet management, trying to cut through the noise and get down to the real issues safety and operations leaders are struggling with every day. The goal will be to get to the bottom of how leaders can break down these silos of information, accelerate change management, how to use real-time accurate data to drive massive efficiencies across fleet-focused business processes, and to elevate people's careers with emerging best practices. Now it's time for the Straight Talk on Fleet. Okay, so hello again, Fleet community. Welcome to another episode of the Straight Talk on Fleet. In fact, I think this is episode 33, so I feel really good about that. Um, I love talking to the Fleet community, and on my podcast, that's what we try to do. We aim to be an objective and reliable source of information for our massive fleet ecosystem, and that's really based on my fleet experience. I was a enterprise fleet manager for 15 years and um, love the industry. So we love to give back by way of my podcast. And I'm super excited today. It's such a critical time in our industry. Um, it always has been, but it is now because we know that between Memorial Day and Labor Day, there's um, a lot of people on the road, you know, young people, miles driven goes up across the US. So um, we love to talk about safety here at IntelliShift and we love to talk about distracted driving. So to kick us off, I want to introduce Shelly Forney. Shelly is our guest today. Welcome, Shelly. Thanks for having me, Erin. So, so honored. Um, Shelly is a motivational distracted driver awareness safety speaker. So say that fast and five times. (laughs) Um, And Shelly has spent many years um, raising awareness around this idea of distracted driving. You know, what is it? And so a little bit about today's podcast. So Shelly and I are going to talk about distracted driving. Um, Shelly's going to introduce herself a little bit better than I did. She's going to share her lost story and the science behind the problem and so much more. So let's get rolling into our content today. Um, So Shelly, thanks again. Take a minute, introduce yourself, and then share with our listeners your um, lost story. You bet. So uh, I've been married 32 years. I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I have three girls. Jessica is my oldest, Erica, my middle daughter, and my youngest, Valerie, who just graduated from uh, high school. And- uh, Congratulations. Thanks, thanks. I'm I'm trying to process what that means. I don't have to have all those crazy commitments anymore. Now we move on to college, but uh, we get at least a couple couple of months breaks with the summer for that. So- yeah, so uh, I, I already have one out of the out of the house. Is on her own. She's 26, and and then my baby's 18, and we're going to be talking about my middle daughter today, who who is Erica, and um, she's the the reason I'm here and the reason that I have a story to tell. So thank you very much for you know sharing your lost story with us, and I know this is tough. Um, I can't even imagine, but I think this is such a beautiful thing that you've done um, with your life since losing Erica is sharing out your story and helping to get to the root of this problem and um, get out across. I I was checking out your website. And by the way, audience, um, it's www.shellyforney.com. I was looking at your website, Shelly, and it was just... um, so impressive to see how many years and you know that you've touched how many people that you've spoken to about this um really critical issue and it seems like no matter what we do and we'll talk more about this later no matter what we do in the way of technology and training and awareness um these numbers continue to climb and distraction is the reason that we see numbers continue to climb despite the technology. So we'll dig in, like I said, to more of that a little bit later, but, but um, let's take some time and have you share your story with us. You bet. So, you know, I never thought in my life I would be uh, the kind of person to get out in front of people and, and talk much less lots of people. I mean, I've, I have done events where I've got a couple thousand attendees and, People go, how in the world do you do that? And I go, because I need to, I have to. You know, there's times in our lives that things happen to us and the result is a call to action. Um, I'm gonna tell you about a day that happened quite a long time ago. It's actually been 14 years. 
Um, but in my mind, you know, I remember it as vividly as, as if it was yesterday. It was November 25th. It was a beautiful Wednesday uh, here in Colorado. And my daughter, Erica, had uh, just taken off for school. She, at that time, was nine years old. And we have an elementary school at the end of our street, about four blocks away. And she rode her bike to school. She had had a fabulous last day of Thanksgiving, for Thanksgiving break was the next day. And she was so excited. She had a, uh, started off uh, getting ready to head on her bike. And her friend Sophie saw her and said, hey, I want to walk with you. So she walked half of her, her four-block uh, ride with her friend. And she finally said to Sophie, hey, I'm going to hop on my bike and head home. So she was heading against the opposite direction of the flow of traffic, but she was in the bike lane. She literally was about 15 pedals from my front door when our neighbor Kevin had seen her across the street as he was walking his daughter home, stopped and waved at her, and he was the last person to speak to my daughter as she was literally 15 pedals from my front door um, after, after seeing Kevin and waving to him. A lady we didn't know, a neighbor, she was not a young person, she was actually 36 years old, had lived in our neighborhood uh, longer than we had, just lived a couple blocks um, south from us on that main road, it's called Avondale Road. Um, she was on her way home from work, came into our neighborhood, was finishing um, a phone conversation, so she was holding the phone up to her ear. She was not texting, she was not having a Bluetooth conversation, and apparently was looking over in her side seat, shuffling through uh, papers, when she felt something hit her vehicle. The reason she didn't know anything had hit her vehicle was because her eyes were downcast in, in, in her passenger seat. Her vehicle was a Ford Expedition SUV. She had drifted off of Avondale Road into the bike lane where my daughter was about to turn the corner to the rest of her life. When this all happened, this driver wasn't speeding. She was going the posted speed limit, but she was 100% unaware that her vehicle had drifted. When she hit my daughter, she was going 25 miles an hour. Erica's little body flew off of her bicycle, hit the windshield, cracked it clear across. She flipped backwards, did a backwards flip, and landed 15 feet in the other direction on the concrete. While all of this was happening, um, Kevin obviously had heard what, as he had gone down the hill with his daughter, heard the crash happen behind him, turned around and ran to my home to alert my family as to what happened. I have to derail for a moment and tell you where I was and what I was doing while this was happening. Um, I had been uh, multitasking a couple months prior. I was out on a run with my littlest one at the time, Valerie, the one that just graduated. She was three and a half, and I had her in the umbrella stoler. I had my golden retriever, and we were out for a run. And as we were coming down the hill on the backside of my neighborhood, there was a rock on the sidewalk. I had tried to swerve to miss it, and it actually popped up, jarred in the umbrella stroller, and down my daughter Valerie was heading towards the concrete. And I managed to pull her up in the process, but I rolled my ankle and broke it. So I'd been in one of those walking casts for about two months, and I was at the doctor's office in the town about 10 minutes away from here, and I'd gotten the good news. He said, you know, wear your cast through the end of this weekend, and I think you'll be able to take it off, and it looks great. So I hopped in my minivan, put my daughter in the back, and I proceeded to make several phone calls because in 2008, uh, we were told by society and the automobile industry and the cell phone industry that, hey, if you have this Bluetooth thing, this cool new thing, you know, your hands are on the wheel, you're safe to drive. You know, you can have a conversation and drive safely. So we bought them, we used them, I used it often. I'm kind of an impatient person, and so I, I didn't want to wait my 10-minute drive to make phone calls, so I proceeded to drive home, making several calls to family to share them my good news. What's interesting about this drive home is there's only um, three ways to get into my neighborhood. I didn't um, approach any of them. I came in a back way, a long route, and it dawned on me as I entered, finally did enter the, the unusual way into my neighborhood that I never took that I thought, how, how did I get here today? Like, why, why did I come this route? This doesn't make any sense. I was so distracted by my own conversation. I was talking to my father at the time that I didn't even realize I had come that long route home on a different road, which wasn't logical and didn't make sense to do so. It, it, it was that epiphany moment where I went, how the heck, how did I get here? You know, I think a lot like of people not remembering your drive. Yeah, not remembering my drive. How trying to many go. Many of us have done that. Right. How many of us have driven all the way home from work, typically, and gone, 
gosh, I don't even recall my drive. There's it's, reasons for that. We'll talk about that. Exactly. So I'm telling you this to, to say that just like the driver that had hit my daughter, who was unaware that she had drifted into the bike lane, unaware that she was about to you know, hit somebody. I was equally as distracted by my conversation. When I drove up, I could see my neighbor was looking for me um, and waved me, you know, waved me. I could hurry up, get out of the car. So I, I did, and there was fire trucks and ambulances, the principal, the elementary school, Kevin, my husband, students, neighbors, it was just chaos. Um, and I was being kind of shuffled to the middle of all this, and I was very confused as to why they wanted me to get up there, right? This woman shouts out to me on the sidewalk, and she says, as I was, I was getting closer to the person on the ground, she says, I can't believe I didn't see her. And I was like, okay, I didn't know what she was talking about. As I finally got, got to the person on the ground, I realized that was my daughter who was laying there on the ground. She was not moving. And the paramedics were cutting their clo her clothes off with these huge scissors because they just don't waste time. You know, they need to see what's happening. Again, this woman shouts out to me, I can't believe I didn't see her. I went over and I hugged her and I said, my daughter's going to be okay. I'm sure she's just unconscious, you know, has a broken arm or something. In my mind, I thought, this can't be too bad. You know, I didn't know what happened, but I saw her bike. I saw it was crumpled up and I put it all together in my head. Three times I went over to that woman and I said, it's going to be okay. And I hugged her and I realized I could have been the one on the sidewalk saying, I can't believe what I just did. It could have been me that day, but it wasn't. It was her. My daughter was rushed off to the local hospital and um, we, uh, I was in the one ambulance, she was in the other. After 45 minutes with no update, I finally found her. They just left me in a room and nobody to tell us what was going on. My husband was kept behind to fill out paperwork, which I don't know why they separated us, but that's, that's what happened. Finally, a neighbor had brought him, and right at the moment that they brought him to the hospital was when I'd had enough. I found where my daughter was at, and I said, I need to see her. I went in the room, and there was not one, not two, but there were six doctors with my child. Six. I thought that seemed like a lot of doctors for one little nine-year-old girl who was in an accident, which I, in my mind, thought it couldn't be that bad. They told us, they told me, they said, Mrs. Forney, Erica's in really bad shape. And we, we can't help her. We cannot help her here. We have to flight for life her to Children's Hospital in Denver. And of course, there's no room for anyone in the, the, you know, the helicopter but the, but the patient and the paramedic. So that neighbor that brought my husband drove us down to Children's Hospital, which was an hour and a half from our home. When we got there, we found our daughter with what looked like a big bolt in her head to relieve the pressure from the impact of being hit by this Ford Expedition SUV, and I will tell you now what, what happened. As she was 15 pedals from our front door, my front door, this neighbor was just oblivious to what she was doing because she prioritized that call at 3.38 on November 25th. And that one phone call took my daughter's life, the shut that they put in her head to relieve the pressure was not enough after 24 hours of hoping for a miracle to happen, hoping for the pressure to come down. Um, we were told that our daughter was dying and we lost her on Thanksgiving day, the day that you're grateful for all you have and you're spending time with your family and talking about all your blessings. We had to do a death test on our beautiful nine-year-old daughter this was a 100% preventable accident that is not an accident at all. I thought it was an accident. It was a crash. A crash is something that is preventable. An accident is not. We knew the cause. There was one reason and one reason alone that she's not here in our home today. It's because of that one conversation that took her life. Our daughter broke her brainstem. And even if she'd had her helmet, which she did not, and normally she wore it, she forgot it that day, as, as people forget things. We were told the impact that her body sustained from being hit by that Ford Expedition SUV, about a 7,000-pound vehicle, that that was the sole reason um, that, that the pressure and the impact um, that, she, that her little head, her little head could not sustain the pressure it was squeezing out of her. Um, her brain was trying to squeeze out of her head, and that's why we lost her on Thanksgiving Day. Having this happen to our family 
beyond the fact that losing a child is rough enough. In fact, you know, there's no, there's no name for a parent that loses a child. If a husband loses his wife, he's a widower. What do you call a parent that has a child die? There is no name because it's the unimaginable loss. It's the loss that, that nobody wants to go there in their head and think, what would this be like to, to lose my flesh and blood, my, my child who I, I bore and you know, carried for nine months and raised and loved and nurtured and their future was in front of them. And then just to have that, that taken from them in a moment. And that's exactly what happened to our daughter. Into all of you taken. Exactly. I mean, it just it, it just threw our world upside down. And I will tell you, it's been thanks to my strong faith in my in my Lord and God. I I'd say that's the reason that I'm still married. I'm still here. I'm still a wife. Uh, I, I am grateful for that, for family support, for church support. But um, truly, it's been, and I think, and it will continue to be. A, you know, grief has become part of our everyday. And the loss has become part of our everyday. Once you, when you lose somebody, you lose them forever. And um, it's a growing learning process how to, to maneuver that. For me, I was approached by another parent who had lost his child. And he said, I'm forming a nonprofit group called Focus Driven Advocates for Cell Phone Free Driving. And I'm looking for other people who are advocating for awareness and change on distracted driving, which I was doing at that time in our state of Colorado. We had no cell phone laws in place at all. In fact, most states didn't have any. And I, I said, I don't, I'm not a public speaker. I don't, this isn't my thing. And he said, well, I'm not either, but, but we need to do something. And people will listen, especially to people who are pers have been personally impacted like you and like me. So I joined that group and we made a massive impact in the, the small numbers that we were. We were a very small group, but we um, kind of took the hand of the National Safety Council and the DOT um, and they created a website after they met us called distraction.gov. And it's been, you know, it was a, a great way to get the word out on a national level. And we were, we were out there for four years until we just weren't able to get the funding anymore. And at that point I decided, you know what? I'm not done. My mission is not done yet. And my daughter's legacy needs to live on in a way that, you know, her story um, and sharing it, I hope, along with educating people, because it's, it's, it's more than just telling our story. It's also saying, hey, let's talk about the statistics. Let's talk about real life, you know, um, crashes that are happening. Let's personalize this. But, you know, what, what's going on with your brain? Why is it that society is trying to convince us that this is a safe thing to do? Um, is Bluetooth really a safe option? You know, those are all things that I think are really, really important to touch on. And so when I come and speak for groups and organizations and, uh, you know, safety conferences and things, um, I, I leave it all out there. And I give, I give everything I have to every single event because the people I'm there to speak to, they're worth it. They're, they absolutely are worth it. They are worth every tear, every heartache that I have to shed um, to bring awareness to this topic. And my daughter's worth it. So that's my mission. My goal is to not only share our story because it's, it's our life, it's our reality that I don't want to be anybody else's, right? And mm -hmm. to educate people and say, let's, let's make a difference by um, changing the perception of what you think is safe to do behind the wheel. And that's what I hope to do. And I've been doing this for 14 years. Yeah, well, well, first of all, thank you for sharing your story and incredibly sorry for your loss. Thank um, you, Aaron. Can't even, can't even fathom it, Shelly. And I will say that in the short time we've known each other, you've already made an impact on my life. And, um, sorry. You don't need to apologize. Um, I've made some personal changes of my own in my own driving. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I've spent some time on your website and, and just learned about things that I might've thought were okay. Um, but they're not. And so, you know, that's what we're here to talk about today is, you know, a little bit deeper on distracted driving is not just looking at your cell phone. And I know that there are so many laws that are now very focused on device use. However, I want to dig in a little bit because I think we can share um, a broader perspective here today. Um, so again, thank you for sharing your story. Um, so let's dig into some questions here. We talked prior and you've learned a lot over these last 14 years. Can you share a little bit about your perspective on cognitive distraction? So what is it and how does it affect our ability to drive um, safely? 
You bet. So there's three components to cognitive distraction. Uh, your hands on the wheel, your eyes on the road, but what I feel is the most important, and it's, that's your mind on the task of driving. Driving, <laughs> yeah, your head in the game. And obviously, our story involves one device, correct? It, it was a cell phone conversation. Um, that's the sole reason uh, we lost our daughter. But today, since 2008, there's been so much that's been more that's been incorporated into a vehicle, right? And the automobile industry is going to tell you, you know, use the hands free. Well, logically, and we all know, I mean, you're safer when you have two hands on the wheel, correct? I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's obvious. But the problem is, if you look at the statistics, they all show that uh, the crash data, honestly, um, whether someone's holding a phone on a Bluetooth conversation or texting is, I'm not going to say even across the board, but it's not much different. Um, all of those things uh, as well, well, whether it's a phone or an iPad or a computer, because people have all those things, you know, attached in their car, um, that type of distraction and or the dashboard of your tech-focused vehicle infotainment systems all draw your eyes off the road and draw your mind off the task of driving because now you've shifted your attention. Sometimes it's your physical looking, right? You're looking off onto a device, a screen, etc. Um, but also even when you're having a conversation with somebody who's not in the car with you, which means you're either talking through your speaker system or Bluetooth, um, your mind's on that conversation. And we don't actually multitask while we drive, we toggle task. And that's, that's, that's the component that, that I kind of like to, to dive into and explain what that means. But there's those three components that, that make it up, you know, that the, your, your hands on, on the wheel or off the wheel, your mind um, on or off the task of driving, and obviously your eyes looking, looking into your, your, out your vehicle and, and at your surroundings. You have to have all three of those working together to be a safe driver to, to um, be fully engaged in the task of driving. Yep. Um, it's interesting. I was just talking to a colleague and she said, um, we were talking about you and your story. And I had shared with her that you were going to be on my podcast. And she said that she can't take work calls in her car. And I said, she said, because she wants to be very engaged in the work call. She has something she's on that call because she's expected to be a contributor. Mm -hmm. So if she can't take the call from a safe spot, she, does, she doesn't do it anymore it, because she noticed that she was so focused on her driving that she could not be properly engaged in the work call. So the work call suffers. Well, I was just happy to hear her say, well, my, it wasn't my driving that suffered. So she stopped doing that. And, and another thing that makes me think about, we talked about this a second ago is I used to have um, like a 45 minute to an hour commute to and from work mm -hmm. before, before COVID. And I would get home some days, either I'd taken work calls on my drive home, or I had been listening to music or a podcast driving and I would get home and I would start to make dinner and I would think, I, I can't even remember my drive home. Okay. That's scary. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that means that my mind, I didn't have all three of those components, right? Maybe right. hands on the wheel, maybe eyes on the road, but I certainly wasn't engaged in the task of driving. Yeah. So really important when we think about, you know, co cognitive distracted distraction, cognitive learning, we have to be fully engaged. So um, something that we can think about as fleet leaders um, and safety and operations leaders, when we think about how we position our drivers out there folks on um, being fully engaged in the task of driving, um, we have to create that environment, that bubble of safety. And I've talked about that, about that on a few of my podcasts and what that really means um, so that the driver has the permission to be fully engaged in the task of driving. And we as organizations aren't saying one thing and doing another. We give them this device on which we deliver them work, work orders or delivery stops or whatever the case might be. And then we say, but don't be on that device. So we have to make sure that we have a way to measure and manage that and um, really take charge of the cognitive piece 
uh, behind the wheel. So great information there. Um, so in terms of statistics, we as the fleet industry, um, we're responsible for millions of miles driven across the U.S., um, hundreds of thousands of assets um, that we're managing and operators and drivers and forklifts and all kinds of dangerous equipment that we are managing. So we like numbers. <laughs> what can you share with us um, that you've learned about just the devastating effects of not, you know, having your head in the game when you're driving? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to give a couple small ones and I'm going to give some big ones. So I think most people know this, but I think it's important to reiterate it. Um, if you're a driver over the age of 18 and you engage in a Bluetooth conversation with somebody, your risk right there alone has gone up four times. If you choose to text while you're driving, you're over the age of 18 and you're texting and driving and there's nobody in the vehicle with you, you've doubled your risk. You are now eight times more likely to be in a crash because you have now introduced a text into your conversation. Um, I think the main reason that's doubled is because most of the time, except for maybe young people who are good at texting without looking at their phone, I can't text without looking at my phone. As I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a puncher. I'm a punching the numbers. I don't know. Uh, my, I feel like I'm a really good texter, and I still yeah. have to look. I still right? have to look. So you're looking. So that's <laughs> why that's why that statistic is doubled. And the reason I'm talking about the age is if you have a driver in your household who's under the age of 18, those statistics are doubled. So you have a 16-year-old driving by themselves in a vehicle, they're on a Bluetooth conversation, instead of it being four times risk, you're at eight times risk. Uh, texting driver, 16 years old, his risk by himself in his vehicle with no passengers, his risk has gone up to 16 times more high to be in a crash. Now let's add a passenger, okay? So um, the, the passenger risk um, is across the board for ages 18, um, or under 18. In other words, um, let's take a 16-year-old who has one passenger in the car with him. Just having another person in the car does increase your risk because you can, you're turning, you're engaging with them, they're talking to you. That People have crashes because they've been distracted by a passenger. But when you have young drivers, novice drivers under the age of 18, um, anytime they have a single person in a car with them, their risk goes up by four times simply by having them in the car without any electronic distraction. So you have those numbers. You add one person, their risk goes up by four times. You add two passengers, their risk goes up by eight times. Now you add either the Bluetooth conversation or the texting conversation. Do you see how high these numbers are going? Right? Crazy. So a uh, 16-year-old young man who's texting and he's got two passengers in the car, what is his risk at? I have to think about this, 16, four and four, eight. So he's up to over like 24 times more likely to be in a crash. What if he has four people, three people in the car? I mean, it just, it's playing loud music and yeah. there's devices and they're having conversation. Yeah. Right? This is it, very, it, very scary. It is. And so, you know, I think it's really important that people have young drivers in their household that they're aware of that. And the reason those risks are so much higher is because they're novice drivers. They're new drivers. They don't have mm -hmm. years of experience behind them, right? So um, that's the first. I think I always think it's important to cover that and to talk about that. Now we're going to talk about numbers on a national level. During COVID, then there were a lot less people on the road driving, right? Most of us were stuck at home. They didn't want you going anywhere. It takes up NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, two to three years to produce data um, because, you know, they're collecting all of this from every individual state and then they have to break it all down into categories, right? So the most recent is from 2020. So I'm going to share with you what I, what I learned from them. They said there was 38,824 highway deaths in 2020. And 3,142 of those were specifically due to distracted driving. Um, it's, it's absolutely insane. Uh, injuries from distracted driving, uh, they've tallied at 324,652 injuries. So some of those could be life-changing injuries where somebody's now a paraplegic because of a crash that they caused and or someone caused to them, right? Forever changing their lives. Um, 
horrific numbers. The one thing that is underestimated that NHTSA shares, and this is something that I think is quite true, when police come to a scene um, and they're dealing with um, you know, what's happened, they're asking the driver or the other person involved in the other car, you know, what did you see? Like, what, what happened here, right? Do you think it's possible that people who were on their phones, they were distracted by whatever it was that caused this crash and it's their fault, do you think maybe they might not be completely honest oh, to the policeman? Right. <laughs> so there was a, doing my makeup or I was yeah. um, watching a movie. Watching a movie, I've seen yeah. it. Yeah. So So, a lot of things that they wouldn't admit to. Exactly. So there's an underestimated number of crashes that they have to, that they can't account for. So you have people not being truthful about what the cause of the crash was, unless there was eyewitnesses to see it. The policemen, there's nothing they could do, right? They, They have to report what they've been told or what they believe to be the truth that they have to be able to back that. Right. So you have underestimated you know, crashes that are likely due to distracted driving, but people don't want to admit to it for various reasons, right? Um, it can just say- They're just likely very un- underreported. Yeah. And I wonder on that note, Shelley, so because laws since then, I mean, we've seen um, laws coming into play year over year, this gets um, more and more laws around um, device use in vehicles, um, on a number of levels, if there's a crash today, um, and there's a law, right? Does that, is that reporting better? So the reporting that we see from NHTSA, you know, for 21, 22, 2023, probably going to get a little bit better because they're probably capturing, um, some information that devices can provide. Um, exactly. Well, we need that. And, and the other aspect that I meant to mention was, but, you know, with people not being truthful, that's one, one cause for uh, it being underreported. But also some states don't actually have on their accident report a place where the policeman can check this was distracted driving. And you would think that that would be a really important thing, a box that that they should have on their report, right? And, but unfortunately, I've, I've spoken with policemen, I've spoken, you know, have shared the podium with them at many events, and they've, you know, talked with them afterwards, and they've said, you know, that's something I'd like to complain about, that's something I wish that they would change. Not very many states see that as important in adding that to the accident report, but it's vital for groups like NHTSA to be able to capture that data so we have accurate information as to how big those numbers are. Let me, let me ask you this question. When you come to a stoplight in your town and you look around the person in front of you, beside you, behind you, next to you, what are most people doing? Oh, they're on their phone. Yeah. So the point is that, I mean, one out of every two drivers at some point thinks it's fine to use their phone while they're driving. And um, they go, well, I've been driving for this many years. I'm, I'm an expert. I've never had crashes. You know, I, I don't speed. I don't, you know, I don't have, you know, I have a record. But these kind of accidents happen to all of us. The reason I shared where I was and what I was doing the day my crash happened is to share that I'm just like everybody else. So was this driver. She was unaware that that choice, that decision was as dangerous as it was and that it could have the potential to hurt someone, much less kill somebody. Yeah, and going, going the speed limit, mm-hmm. you know, basically exactly. following the law. Exactly. Then, but then, but then she looked away. Yeah. And then everything changed. Exactly. Right. So you know, I think there's our society is unaware of the larger scale impact that distracted driving is having. When I ask you how many people do you see on their phones um, when you are at a stoplight, right? The reason I ask that question is prove the point. Everybody has them and everyone uses them, and it's a high number. And so, I think the crash data is is off, and I think it's underrated. Mm -hmm. I think instead of one out of every four car crashes being due to distracted driving, I think it's more like two out of every four. And I think NHTSA needs to have the opportunity to collect really up current and factual data on these accident reports. And they're not getting a chance to get that because it's not prioritized within each state that they update those accident reports. That's just this well, one little thing. And I look forward to seeing how this evolves mm-hmm. with the laws over the next few years and those numbers sort of catch up, 
right, for these last few years when more and more laws have come into play here. So interesting stuff. Um, it reminds me of when, as a fleet leader, how we ask drivers to back in to a space whenever they can so that when they they are finished with their activity, that when they get back in their vehicle and the environment's completely changed, they're in that position to then pull out of the spot versus back out of the spot because we know that that increases their chance of an accident. The same thing is when you're at a stop sign or at a stoplight, there's all kinds of activity going on around you. And if you're buried in your phone and you wait for the light to turn, then you look up, you're way behind the eight ball already. So yeah. it's just kind of that similar mindset as always knowing your surroundings. Um, that, that brings up a point. I was on your website and you have um, worked with a neuroscientist, uh, David Strayer. And so talk about some of your key learnings um, from looking at it from that perspective. You bet. So David Strayer uh, has been testing drivers for years and years, um, seeing if the data's changed, if it's any different, if the way we process uh, a text and driving, a Bluetooth conversation, a handheld conversation, one, or a speaker system while we're driving impacts our ability to be able to drive and perform with 100% confidence that we're driving safely right and so attention attention to all those details and so what i found when i uh got to know him and started um, doing events with him um his data was just fascinating to me and he he explained to me i I think i brought this up a little bit earlier and we were going to talk about it later and that's that's now so uh the cognitive distraction and how we don't multitask while we drive we toggle task and that's one of the key things that I learned from him that I share in every one of my um, presentations that I give is what does that mean? People will go, okay, I really just don't see the difference between having a passenger in the car. Yes, we've already discussed how that raises your level of risk. Simply by having somebody in the car with you, that raises your your risk level um, of having a crash by four times. Just having a single passenger, whether you're a young person or whether you're somebody who's a seasoned driver. Um, but people go, well, tell me how that's different from having a Bluetooth conversation with somebody. You're, you're engaged whether they're there or whether they're not with you. There's a huge difference. Can the person, let me ask you this question. Can the person on the other end of that phone conversation who's not with you in your car, do they, do they have that ability to help prevent a crash from happening? <laughs> they do not. Why? They do not. They, they're not in the vehicle. They can't see what you're seeing. Correct. Right? Correct. They can't alert you to what's happening. Exactly. They don't know your surroundings, your speed, where you are, what lane you're in, how fast you're going, when you're turning, when you're stopping. They might not even know you're in a vehicle. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. There is a different noise, though, when you're on the phone with somebody and they're in a car. I think you can kind of hear it in the background, sort of. Sometimes I can't tell, but... But you're exactly right. And so I, I point that out. That's vex- like, like the very first thing I say when I start diving into the whole, uh, you know, distracted driving brain is what it, what it becomes. But um, you're exactly right. The person in the car is with you. So they see all those things. They know your environment, your speed, where you are, if you're turning, if you're stopping. So they do have the ability to alert you to say, hey, you know, you're, you're going to run that light or do you see that person in the crosswalk? Whatever it is, they have the ability to help prevent a crash from happening. We don't multitask, we toggle task. In other words, you take the task of the conversation on one hand and the task of driving on the other. Your brain sees those as individual tasks. And when you introduce the conversation into your driving environment, you're now asking your brain to do those two tasks simultaneously. We can't. Our brains aren't wired to process that. So you at that point, your brain has to choose between the task of driving and the task of the conversation. Something has to give. Well, where do you think that's going to happen? It's going to happen in your ability to brake fast enough, to autocorrect the steering wheel, to process, you know, oh my gosh, I've, you know, I, I, I've got to swerve, whatever it is that, that all of a sudden is in your environment that you're, you're going to miss. And that's, that's what happens. So the risk happens there. When you introduce that conversation, it doesn't matter if it's Bluetooth. It doesn't matter if you're looking at a screen. It doesn't matter if uh, you're texting. Your brain is distracted by all those types of tasks. And by the way, each of those tasks, when they involve another person, 
they are not short-term tasks, they're long-term tasks. Because if you take a bite of food, yes, that's a distraction, and yes, that could cause a crash, right? You take a drink of something. But those are very short-term tasks that your risk is lower in getting in a crash with those, much lower compared to the conversation that you're having with somebody via text through your speaker system or if you're holding a phone, et cetera. Where your brain's trying to do more than one thing. Well, you're, you're conversing, yeah. right? You're communicating. Your brain has to process the incoming message and, and send a message out. Whether you're t If I'm typing you, are we having a conversation? Am I typing? If I'm typing you a message, are, are you and I conversing is my question to you. Yeah, I mean, we're having a conversation while it's not verbal. It's, you know, it's a text conversation. It, I think we do that more than we talk anymore. It, it requires, the reason I ask you that is because it requires the same amount of processing. Whether you're speaking with your mouth or typing it, your brain is processing that conversation the same way. Does that make sense? Yep, it does. It does. So, so you're still engaged in another activity. You're still engaged in, in a back and forth conversation, which is a long-term task. When you have a long-term task, your brain is being asked to do more and process more. Therefore, the distraction is a longer distraction. Well, That's where the crashes happen. You and your husband having a conversation mm -hmm. and one of your children really needs your attention. And they're, they're like, mom, 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 mom. And I might, not, and my kids accuse me of this because it's real. <laughs> I don't hear them the first three times they said mom because I'm focused on the conversation I'm having with this other person. Exactly. So it's that, and then I'll say, oh, were you, say excuse me, please. <laughs> Tell them, say excuse me to interrupt me. Um, but then I realize that someone else is trying to talk to me. So it's yeah. just the same thing that when we're trying to do all these other things and drive, and by the way, driving is a big enough task on its own. It is. Um, and so that's a great segue into thinking about tech, right? Technology um, plays a huge role in um, accidents and distraction, sometimes a positive role, and we know a negative role. So, you know, talk a little bit about your perspectives on, you know, advanced driver assistance systems in vehicles, um, you know, and I certainly have a very expressed opinion on this, having run, you know, a very large fleet for many years and used technology to reduce accidents. So share your perspective a little bit on the, on the vehicle tech side. You bet. So the group that Focus Driven uh, joined hands with National Safety Council, I'm sure you're familiar with them. Um, a lot of my content is, is from them and from NHTSA in my presentation, as well as David Strayer. And what I kind of learned from them is that we've been duped into believing that Bluetooth and hands-free and, you know, speaking through the speaker system is safe because it is putting our two hands on the wheel. And they want you to believe that because they want you to buy their infotainment enhanced vehicles. That's the fancy terminology that, that yeah. I was, you know, told. Um, and that is people go, what is an infotainment enhanced vehicle? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, almost well, more than half the vehicles on the roadway now, and literally, if you go to a dealership today, I, I don't think you could come out with a new car that doesn't have one of these. So you get in your car, you go to, you know, the cars I've been driving lately have a push button. That's crazy. Mine doesn't, but uh, um, yeah. But wait a minute, let me think about that. My, yeah, no, mine does. My husband still has a turnkey, but almost every single car has a push button now. It's nuts um, mm -hmm. to start a car, right? There's no keys anymore. But to explain to people what an infotainment enhanced system is, you have, a, as soon as you push your button or turn your key, a little screen, usually about, you know, four by four or six by six pops up with all your options of things you can do and select it for your Music car. Music and navigation yes. yeah. and everything. Yeah. So you name it. I mean, like mine has Pandora. It has an internet button. It has, uh, let me see. I'm trying to think a couple apps that were preloaded on there. Various sure. music type of apps, right? Uh, Pandora is one of them. Some have, I have DVD. news. I have weather. I have. There you I go. Have... News, weather, DVD, <laughs> the list goes on. GPS, right? So in 2016, I got a Honda Pilot. It was brand new. And I'd had a Honda Odyssey minivan for 18 years before that. 
That sucker was just would not die. I, I love that one car. Of those. I really loved it too. <laughs> and so this was all the bells and whistles. And uh, honestly, I really didn't know what to do with any of that. But um, I really wasn't interested in any of that because for me, driving required um, me getting in the car, turning the key, and paying attention to my driving environment, looking out the windows, turning around. That's what how I was taught to drive. I I grew up with a stick car. And I didn't need anything else. So when I saw all this in my car, I'm like, okay, is any of this useful to me? <laughs> and um, this was While 2000. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm looking at all these options. And honestly, um, the only one that um, I actually don't have GPS on, and on mine, uh, uh, most people do, that would be a feature I would like. But um, the only one I really used was the music because I'm a, I love music and um, I, I'm a big music fan. Uh, I was like, okay, well, I'll learn how to use that and turn that on. You get it all set up before you go, before you put the car in drive, select your music, start it, all of that, right? And off I go. The rest of it, I really don't need. And honestly, um, I I still don't know how to use any of those other features because they have zero, zero ability to help me drive safely, honestly. There's a couple features in my car that um, are not in that screen. Um, I have a uh, what was it lane diversion where my car will actually uh, pull the vehicle back and it like shakes the steering wheel yeah. too. So if somebody's falling asleep, it's supposed to help because it like shakes Probably the steering wheel. Probably if you're traveling too closely to another mm -hmm. asset and yeah, let you know and and some of those things, like I said, you know, really good. I think the difference between things that are going to entertain and distract yeah. versus technology that's designed to alert us to something we might not see because maybe it wasn't supposed to happen. Somebody wasn't supposed to cut me off or someone's in my blind spot and I'm about to change a lane and it, my car lets me know my seat buzzes. And I can also have a setting where it has an audible alert on my vehicle. that'll say that I shouldn't change the lane at that yeah. time. So there's really good things that this type of technology outside of infotainment can can do. So I think that when we think about vehicle tech, all of our audience, we need to be careful about how we're equipping vehicles when we know that we're expecting to someone, and we should all think of ourselves when we get in a vehicle, hey, right now I'm a professional driver. I need just to be a professional driver every time I get behind the wheel of any vehicle. But those of us that are responsible for massive fleets and thousands of drivers, we are not only responsible for the way that we drive, but for the way that all of our drivers and operators are driving outside on the roadways alongside our family, our friends, the general public. And this idea of stacking our tech, whether that's telematics, adding video dash cams to alert a driver to when they're falling asleep or notify them and, and make an alert where, so AI video dash cams, for example, and IntelliShift, our cameras will actually tell someone, they'll alert someone if they're falling asleep or they're being inattentive, they're uh, put their eyes back on the road because it can see what the driver is doing. And so, that AI can pick up on patterns and actually over time change driver's behavior. And then what we've also learned in talking to our clients and, and me being in the industry for so long is that people are going home and talking to their families about this. Like, wow, I thought I was a really great driver, but my company put dash cams in my vehicles and I found out that I'm actually pretty distracted. While I personally haven't had an accident driving for X company, I am at huge risk for an accident based on what this technology has told me that I'm doing. Yeah has shown me. Yeah. And so then they go through some additional training. They're going home and telling their family. They're more conscious of, oh gosh, I'm going to put my teen in a car. Maybe I should make sure this car has technology to talk to my teenager when it sees him or her looking away from the road. So there's, there's good tech. There's not yeah. so great tech, but it's all about, I think, a combination of policies, training, and technology, a combination of those things, and organizations really showing 
their employees that they care by making sure that the, the cab is a place for driving, not doing your work orders, taking calls from customers, that the cab is for driving. So I hope that, you know, based on what you've shared today and what the fleet industry is doing as a whole, hopefully we can wake up some hearts and minds and change some hearts and minds about what it is to be distracted, that it's not just cell phone use. It's so many, so many other things. Um, and I know we talked, and I saw on your website, this idea of, and I talk a lot about building a culture of safety on my podcast. And it really is like the fiber in being of your organization that you have safety in mind all the time. And it's a combination of so many different actions, but it's this top down sort of commitment to safety. And so you have a call to action here. You go out and talk to thousands and thousands of people. And when you present to them, you have a call to action. Talk about that. You bet. So there are so many easy things, um, simple things people can do. And, you know, uh, when it comes to, I, I, I wanted to just add one more point before we, before we dive into the call to action. Um, you know, when it comes to infotainment systems, I think you have to just look at what's in your car and determine what you feel is going to keep you the safest. So for me, you know, a GPS is a good idea. Uh, I, a lot of places I go, I have to have one. I, I turn the sound up. So I don't try to, to uh, not have to be reliant on looking at a screen because they'll give you those audible directions, right? Mm -hmm. That yeah. and the music to me are, are things that I enjoy but um, are not a heavy enough distraction for me so I can focus on the, the, the task of driving. Everything else, <clears throat> honestly, none of it, you, you really don't need any of it um, to drive safely. We need to be focused, our eyes on the road, our hands on the wheel, take away, um, the phone, put the phone away. Um, that's, that's one of the call to actions I say, and people go, uh, what if someone's trying to reach me? You can always get off the road. You can always um, go park and turn, get off the interstate, go find an exit um, and take those calls. If that's something that um, you, you can prearrange those things with people too. You know, you could say, hey, I've got an hour's drive. Um, if you need to get a hold of me, you know, leave me a we message. We can set our phones to, to do that for us. Yeah. I yeah. call my brother-in-law and if he's driving, it just tells me, hey, I'm driving right now. I'll give you a call when I land. Exactly. Such an easy thing to do. There's a do not disturb on literally every phone now. Um, phones mm -hmm. these days have options where you can set it up to go, I'm in driving mode. And it'll send a message to the person when they call or text you. And that's, you know, you're, you're letting them know that's what voicemail's for. Yeah. So there is nothing more important when you're behind the wheel than getting where you need to go safely. I think we are in a society that is very me driven and I think we've lost the respect of once you get behind the wheel and you're out there, there's other people who you are now um, putting at risk if you are not focused on the task of driving. It's not just about you. It's about every person in front of you, beside you, behind you. Put your phone away, turn it off, mute it, put it in the glove box where you cannot reach it so you are not tempted. When you're driving, that's all you should be doing, right? That's all you should be doing is trying to get safely from, from, the, from the place you left to where you're going. And the last thing you need is to, to be on a phone conversation and have the phone go dead with someone else because you caused them to crash their car because you were talking to them. I've sat in a room with another gentleman who um, lost his son getting ready to film our story for Oprah Winfrey. And that's exactly what happened to him. He was talking to his son and his son was driving and his father was the last person he spoke to. He was ejected out of his car and instantly killed. Can you imagine that? So you have to prioritize those conversations um, and realize that um, if you know someone's just left, don't call them. You're gonna tempt them by a text or by a call to answer I've that. I've done it. I've done it. I sent I mean, my daughter <clears throat> to the store to get groceries and then I forgot that we needed something else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, it's this idea of if the phone's away, when she lands at the grocery store, she'll see that text, get the lettuce with yeah. drop the lettuce. You know, yeah. it's yeah. like this idea of put it away, but the goal still gets accomplished. She lands, she's safe, then looks, oh, okay, I need to pick this other thing it, up, right? Exactly, there's, right? There's ways to, um, how, what did we do? What did we do, Shelly? I mean, <laughs> you and I are old enough where we grew up without... So, so we know there's a way. 
<laughs> it is. It's possible. I promise it is possible. But it, it's a mindset, really, truly. It's a mindset. It's choosing and making that choice. You know, um, the last day I was on my Bluetooth was November 25th, 2008. I have not used it in my vehicle in all these years. Um, in fact, I, I don't even know what happened to it, uh, where it's even at, or if I even have it anymore, because that, that's not a priority. It's not important, and it never will be. Um, and in, in fact, you know, affected the rest of uh, my family's lives. So I don't want other people to be in my position. And that's why I do what I do. And I share a story and I edu educate people about this. I, I, above that, I think it's important. You know, when you're going to go sign your name on something, you're committing to it, right? You're, you're, you sign your name she's saying, okay, this is something that is important to me. I'm, I'm signing my name on this. I think it's important for people to sign a pledge, a commitment pledge. And that's something that I share with every event that I speak at. I, there's lots of pledges out there. The one I like the best is from the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. It's very simple. And um, it simply says, hey, I take driving seriously. I'm going to choose not to use my electronic devices as, uh, while I'm driving. I'm going to be focused on driving. You sign in data. It's something to remind you that you committed not only to yourself to be a safe driver, but to those around you. You know, if something were to happen to you and you aren't here anymore, and it was because of something like this, the people who are mostly impacted by that is who's left behind, right? If you're gone and you, you want to make it home. You want to, you want to make it home to your life, to your family, to your kids, to your, to your tomorrow. So what can we do to make that happen? Make a personal commitment pledge um, to yourself and to those around you saying, you know what? I do take this seriously. Um, my daughter signed, my oldest, Jessica, um, she signed the commitment pledge when she was 13 years old. She wasn't going to be driving for another three or four years, right? But she knew how important that was. And she said, mom, I'm going to, I want one of those pledges. I'm going to sign that. And I said, that's awesome, Jessica, you know, and uh, of course her and my, my youngest don't use their phones in their cars in any capacity. And, and they're um, probably sharing that with their friends. And, they do. And, you know, and they're like, look, this, there's not anything that's that important, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and so for those listening, when we, what we do, we record these sessions and then I share them out in, in lots of different venues, wherever you find content, you can find the Straight Talk on Fleet. I will put a link to um, the pledge so that um, those listening can sign it for themselves, get their families to sign it. And of course, um, talk to their organizations about not only signing this vehicle use policy that probably says, or better say, should say, that you know we're not only following laws, but we have our own organizational commitment to safe driving. So I think it's important when we think about a pledge is, as organizations out there who are putting, giving drivers the most dangerous tool we'll ever give them, which is a vehicle, that we should be making these pledges as, as the C-suite, the leadership team, all of the employees that work for the company, everybody, whether they drive a company vehicle or not, that builds safety culture, right? Yeah. That's saying we care enough about this. So everybody's going to sign this pledge. And then we as organizations are not only gonna sign this pledge, but we are going to make the cab a place for driving. Yes, Just right. drive. We've heard that, so many people say that, just drive. That's really what we need to be committed to here. Um, and so, you know, again, we'll share that link out to the pledge. I'll share um, for everyone who's listening or watching um, our podcast, how to get a hold of you, Shelly. Um, your website again, uh, www.shellyforney.com. Um, but again, Shelly, thank you. I can't thank you enough for sharing your heartbreaking and impactful story with us, um, for your wealth of knowledge around this topic. Um, and just, you know, sharing from the heart, you know, how, you know, and have seen for yourself and for your family, the impact that distracted driving can have. So thank you. So Absolutely. Much. It's been my pleasure. And um, I, I look forward to hearing from people. I always ask people to reach out to me. Um, when you look at my website, my, my full name is, um, you got to spell it right or you're not going to find me, but you can just Google <laughs> it. It's a newer website. It's pretty simple, but you're right. I, I try really hard to, to share as much information as I can. And, you know, my goal and mission, as I've said, is to change people's thought process about what is safe to do behind the wheel, right? 
and not only make that change, but make that commitment to yourself and everyone around you. Um, driving is a privilege, and we need to remember that. Um, and it can be for the good or for the bad, depending on how you respond to it. So remember that every time you get in your car. One thing I like to tell people um, to do is put a small picture someplace in your vehicle that won't distract you, but somewhere of, of who you love, what you love, to remind you, you know, when you get in your car, this is the, you know, those are the people, this is the reason I'm going to make it home today. Um, I see that, remind myself, you know, that they're worth it. They're worth me being focused, and that's exactly what I need to do when I get it. it, it whether and it's your work vehicle. That. Yeah. I know, right? And you we think can do it's that so in simple. our work vehicles, too. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, so whether it's work or personal, you know, you make that choice um, every time you turn that key. So make it count. Make it a good choice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, audience, I'm, I'm sure you've enjoyed this as much as, as I have. Again, you can find us anywhere you find your favorite content. We will be there. I'll be sharing this out and I'm so excited to do that. But how we end every Straight Talk on Fleet podcast and Shelly, you'll appreciate that as we say until next time, keep it real, keep it safe for fleet's sake. So thanks for being with us and thanks for everyone being here to watch our, our content today. Thank you.